Hey everybody, welcome to episode 77 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirkatani. I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in downtown Waterloo, Iowa. Joined on the line, as always, by my right-hand man, the track wrestling rankings guru, David Mirkatani. David, how are you doing today? I'm great, Andy. Good to talk to you. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Well, David, we got uh, quite a few things to talk about here on our to talk about list uh, for this week's episode. Uh, Frank Chimizo going to be taking on Jordan Burroughs, clash a, of multi-time world champs at Beat the Streets. Uh, also, uh, some big news on the college front that uh, broke over the weekend, or big news, I shouldn't say, on the college front, on the wrestling front. Uh, just... The announcement that NAIA granting invitational status to women's wrestling. We'll talk about that. We'll maybe dive into uh, what the top teams coming back next year in Division One wrestling look like. But uh, David, let's uh, kick this thing off with you know the the news that broke Saturday. NAIA wrestling granting invitational status to women's wrestling uh, for the 2018-19 academic year. Big news for wrestling. What do you think it means? I think it's gigantic. I I think it's kind of weird how little play it's gotten because it's, you know, was unanimously approved. It's the first step to it becoming championship status. I think it creates a lot of positive pressure for the NCAA when you have people like John Smith and Tom Brand saying that there needs to be women's wrestling for that to happen. And you pointed out to me that, it probably creates a lot of positive pressure in a trickle-down method that more states need to create women's or girls' wrestling um, as its own separate entity on the high school level. So I think it's really big. And, I mean, the NAI, we've talked about their business model. We can get into that if you want. But their willingness to work with the NWCA and Mike Moyer, is, is it's fantastic if you're a wrestling fan. And, you know, if you love the Helen Maroulis' Adeline Grades of the world, they have to have a place to wrestle. They can't start trying to get good when they're 22 years old. So this is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, just to comb through some of the details here, uh, you know, the NAIA right now has uh, 19 schools uh, that offered women's wrestling this past year. Uh, and it's anticipated that uh, this upcoming season, there will be 25. Uh, once, um, once the sport has reached, 40 teams is and has completed two years at invitational status. It may then apply for championship status. So I think, uh, you know, the way that things are moving right now and looking at the landscape of NAIA wrestling, and, and you can uh, explain this further, but uh seems like we're going to hit that 40 mark rather soon. I would anticipate. I would agree. Um, you and I were doing some prep for this and we dug up the list of men's or the list of NAI school that offer men's wrestling. And it's 58 schools. It's straight from the NAI website. One of the things they let you do is sort those schools by attendance. And what's really interesting or enrollment, however you wanted to do that. And the school with the highest enrollment only has 3,500, uh, students. So what that tells you is that sports are a very, very important part of these schools. You know, if that school has 35 members on it, 1% is the wrestling team. 
And like a, a school like Missouri Valley, which has a really good uh, history of being excellent in wrestling, Mike Mockles been the coach there forever, 1,363 students. And somebody told me one time, one of my athletes went there, he said 80 to 85% of the students there were student athletes. So, I mean, that tells you that school probably wouldn't exist without athletics. So I, they already have a women's program. Schools in similar enrollment uh, categories are probably going to be looking at a school like a Missouri Valley. And if it's, you know, Andy Hamilton University or David Maricatani College and we have 1,500 kids and a sport can add 30 to 45 kids, that's 2 to 3%, it makes sense to add that sport especially because a lot of times they can travel to some of the same school, some of the same tournaments with the men. Um, it, it's not a super expensive sport. You know, you don't need to go build a stadium and a lot of things like that, all the stuff we know about wrestling, but uh, their business model is, is very, I think very straightforward where, you know, they have tuition and all the other costs. They have a, a number they need to function and then they have the cost to the public. And as long as they get, the athlete, any student athlete on average to cover those costs, it's profitable. So I think this is really good news and it gives these schools a chance to add it. And, you know, if you pick a school like say like Linden, you know, Lindenwood university Belleville, which is pretty close to me, they could add a women's team and, you know, they probably already have a coach in place and things like that. So there's a lot of shared expenses that wouldn't be added on, you know, like you're near Grandview. If they added a women's team, they'd probably be pretty good right away if Nick Mitchell had his fingers on that as at all. You know, things like that. Yeah, I think uh, just looking at uh, some of the uh, the past results of the NAI Wrestling Championships on, on track wrestling, and I go back to 2012, 35 teams on this list of, of teams uh, at the NAI Championships. You mentioned 58. So uh, uh, not quite doubling up in a uh, – six-year span, but uh, coming pretty doggone close to it. So, uh, yeah. as you mentioned, NAI is growing so rapidly right now on the men's front. Little cost to add women's wrestling. Uh, the one thing you wonder about, at least I, I, I do a little bit, is, is, you know, can we keep up with it on the high school front, you know, in terms of producing enough athletes to fill out rosters? Now, right now, uh, high school girls participation growing um, pretty rapidly, 1,000 to 1,500 on average per year. Um, looking at it uh, this year, probably uh, a year ago, topping, coming close to, coming close to topping 15,000 uh, nationally. Uh, so, so that's hugely positive. We saw Georgia and Oregon this year announce plans to sanction state tournaments. So that's uh, hugely positive as well. Just seems ton of positive momentum going right now for girls wrestling, for women's wrestling. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to say it. When when the John Smiths and the Tom Brands get behind it, when the Kerry Colots and the, and the John Smiths coach the women's team at the highest level, you know, I remember having Cody Bickley on, and he was talking about how, you know, he wasn't going to be at a, a prominent event because he was going to be at the Women's World Cup. You know, that the women's programs are getting equal level of attention and commitment. It's, it is great. And I think almost all the old school people that didn't want women's wrestling are, are gone out of the sport or have opened their eyes and realized there's nothing but upside. And it's not just being politically correct. 
that these women can actually really wrestle at a very high level and they, and they bring a lot to the table. Yeah. I think, uh, David, you got a lot of, a lot of huge positives going on in women's wrestling right now. You talk about uh, the, the buy-in that uh, Division One coaches have had. Uh, you mentioned Tom Brands and Hawkeye Wrestling Club. Allie Reagan, two-time world silver medalist training in Iowa City with the Hawkeye Wrestling Club. Uh, seeing more and more uh, integration of, of the women, uh, the, the top women around the country training with men's programs. I know uh, – Victoria Anthony out there with Sunkiss Kids out at Arizona State. It's uh, a lot of, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of positive momentum for women's wrestling right now. A lot of things that uh, are trending upward with it, not just participation numbers, not just uh, opportunities. Uh, now we're seeing it spread. You know, we went through that downtrend, right, where where we were losing programs left and right. Now uh, we're seeing things turn around you know it, it flatlined there for a while where and now it's um, back on a growth pattern we're seeing a lot of uh, programs being added as you mentioned that uh, you know our enrollment driven programs we talked about Presbyterian and outlined that uh, on a show back uh, in the fall when Presbyterian was added and in just a, the the uh, specter of a school like that that has what enrollment around a thousand potentially mm-hmm. increasing you know, 10% just by adding men's and women's wrestling. It, you see the blueprint there for the sport to grow and so many more uh, young athletes having opportunities than maybe uh, than they haven't had in, uh, you know, maybe a decade, two decades. So uh, that's that's positive. Hopefully uh, we can continue to see growth at the Division One level and hopefully we can, you know, in the not-so-distant future, see uh, Division One women's wrestling. I think uh, we're, we're certainly heading in that direction, though. Yeah, and 100% agree. Everything you're saying is, is correct, and I think you have to feel good about this. And, you know, you and I spoke, it's kind of a relatively quiet week, which is kind of great that, you know, that, that this this development, it, you know, it didn't get buried in a World Cup weekend or a bunch of other weekends like that, so that it, we can shine the light on this bright because it deserves it, and I'm glad we get to, to talk about it this way. So. Yeah, I think it's good. It's good too. I mean, just that uh, you want to see, you know, girls that are participating have opportunities at the next level. And you, you mentioned uh, uh, Helen and Adeline, but I also think about, uh, man, I think back to, uh, you know, going to the University of Iowa and seeing flyers on street poles around campus, you know, advertising for, you know, come out and join the crew team. You know, you know do you want to be a scholarship athlete? Do you want to have uh, gain financial aid uh, through joining the crew team. And there wasn't, uh, you know, it's, it's not even a sport that uh, exists at the high school level in the state of Iowa. And same with field hockey. And y- you think about some of these these uh, programs and why they exist, where they exist, and, and it's like, you know, wrestling's a natural fit in a state like this or, you know, in Ohio or PA or California. Um, you know, the the – Places where wrestling is a hotbed. Uh, hopefully, here in the in the not so distant future, we see a lot more college opportunities uh, for these young ladies. And uh, I think we're heading in that direction. We're heading there pretty quickly. Yeah, opportunities key, right? And the ability to have those starting at the high school level. But I don't think it can be underestimated, like what Helen Marulis did at the Olympics. Not just winning, but beating an absolute legend and being 
you know, you spoke about her and Burroughs and Snyder just being really good people and being well-spoken and being humble and being an unbelievable ambassador for not only the sport of wrestling, but, you know, really the flag bearer for women's wrestling. And, you know, I got a chance to visit with Kendall Cross and talk about her both on the air on a podcast and then just visiting with him, grabbing dinner in Cleveland and just say, you know, you, you don't, you don't think of her as a girl. She's just a, a wrestler. She's just a stud athlete. And the role model part of this, I think is hard to underestimate the impact of that, that these people are actually making society potentially a lot better. Cause you know, can we talk about bullying and all these things going on in society? Wrestling people, wrestlers don't get bullied and wrestlers don't generally bully people because they have respect. And then you apply that to women or girls and it's just, it's, it's exponentially more important. So, I mean, this is an awesome development and it, it, it when you think about it, it's like a lot of things, once it happens, you're like, well, that makes sense. I mean, it does make sense at the NAI level, you know, for it to start there and probably work its way, hopefully up to the NCA division one level. And I think what will happen is these schools that like a Lindenwood university here in St. in the St. Louis area, or a McKendry, which is Division Two, they'll end up wrestling in that NAIA national tournament, that invitational tournament, um, until they get to 40 schools. And then I don't know if they'll make exceptions, kind of like Mizzou met wrestling in the MAC as an SEC school. I don't know how that'll work, but just the more and more opportunities that exist for student athletes, regardless of gender, to wrestle, the better it is for our sport and really you know, I mean, and try to get too grandiose about this, but really the probably the better is for society because wrestling teaches so many incredibly valuable lessons. Yeah, absolutely. And you think uh, we've talked at times about this in the past and it's worth uh, repeating too. I mean, just go look at, uh, go look at the quality of wrestling in Rio or Paris last year versus what it was five years ago, 10 years ago. And it's, it's night and day, right? high-level techniques that uh, women are hitting now in, in world championship events. And, and you see it trickle down even to the college level. I mean, it's, it's just come so far in one quad or two quads. I think you can probably speak to that better than, than I can, David, but uh, it's certainly palpable. Yeah, it was interesting. I was at World Cup and was working out with some guys, a fighter and a wrestler, and we got a chance to watch – you know, some of my friends from St. Louis, they made it a point to try to just get down there and watch. It's really smart. They're like, they watch how the foreigners warm up. And one of the guys was saying that, like, the Japanese team, they warm up with this special kind of shoe where the shoe isn't flat and it takes special balance. And that, you know, the kid who's a really good athlete, one of the best wrestlers in the high school wrestlers in the country, couldn't do it like the first three times he tried it. And, and the Japanese athletes, you know, are doing it like old hat. Another one of my friends noticed that, you know, the Cubans, they drill really explosively. It's all big explosive movements, and which is different than, you know, what you see in a lot of American practices, which are kind of more grind you out. And, you know, you kind of, I, I heard what you're saying about maybe being able to talk to technique and things like that. People all steal from each other. And the more, I mean, it's obvious, the more anyone's exposed to high level stuff, the more they're able to steal. And, you know, women have not had the, those same opportunities in wrestling for a long time. But, you know, you said this over and over, but like, I look at like 
I like a lot of like judo kind of techniques. And like, you look at like Helen Maroulis and her foot sweep, that's a high level technique, whether you're young or old, big or small, male or female, that's just a really high level technique. And she probably got that, you know, from Valentine or Kendall or somebody like that who got it from somebody else, who got it from somebody else, who got it from somebody else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so regardless of gender, the, the, the young people in our country that want to be great need to be exposed to greatness kind of goes back to the RTC thing. And I think a lot of these NAI schools will probably be smart and form RTCs. And since there's less depth in women's, it'll probably be easier for them to create RTCs because there'll be more high school and, uh, you know, Fargo level, all Americans, those kind of things where they can, they can have an RTC at these smaller campuses and smaller parts of the country, which again, only increases. It's nothing but positive for American wrestling. Well, in terms of, uh, while we're on the topic of positives for American wrestling and worldwide wrestling for that matter, how about, uh, you know, the opportunity that we're going to get to see here in a month, Chimizo versus Burroughs. And uh, Jordan Burroughs kind of tipped us off to that a couple of weeks ago during uh, prep for the World Cup. He talked about this match, uh, said it was likely going to go down uh, in New York City for Beat the Streets. How about that, David? How do you see that one shaking out? Well, um, I had a pipe dream of trying to add this match to Battle for Missouri, and it was just too expensive for us. Um, I'm super excited to see it like anybody. And it, it feels like it's a, it's a puncher and a counter puncher, right? Like Jordan's going to push the pace, push the pace, push the pace. And then when he's get done doing that, he's going to push the pace some more. And Chimizo seems very comfortable picking his spots and being an unbelievable counter wrestler. And so, I, I mean, I think, you know, Burroughs obviously has a little bit of a size, size advantage. Um, Chimizo's a little younger. I think it's just a cool match. It's, it's kind of like the match that, you know, with Seth Gross and Bryce Meredith and, you know, these matches like that where people aren't afraid to wrestle each other. Um, I think it's great they're doing it to beat the streets because, you know, that money will go to a good cause. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably a homer. If I had to pick, I would pick Burroughs. You know, he, he was very kind and did a uh, – did a podcast with him and Mark Manning did it with me. And that's going to go up next week, you know, right before the U S open. You know, he's just an unbelievable ambassador for our sport as well. So um, I, I feel like everybody else. I just can't wait to see how it turns out. I think it's great. Those folks were able to put that together and Nova Gratz and all those people out of New York are be, are to be commended for continuing to try to come up with new ways to, uh, to do really cool new things and um, they should know they're inspiring people around the country to try to do really neat things. I'm, a lot of the ideas I've had for my stuff have come from guys like that. So I think it's amazing what they're doing for sure. One of the things that uh, I was just looking through here a couple of weeks ago and prep for the world cup, probably about a month ago, I was looking through some old brackets came across this and it was kind of surprising to see that uh, Chimizo in uh, 2011, David was a 55 kilo guy at the senior level. <laughs> Chimizo made the quarterfinals of the World Championships at 55 kilos, and that uh, he, he lost a 1011 match. This was the 
the ball pole era, the dark days of freestyle wrestling. He lost to Victor Lebedev <laughs> of Russia in the quarters. Uh, Lebedev went on to win the uh, uh, world title. And uh, so on the backside, Chimizo, let's see if we can find him here in the repassage. repassage. Chimizo uh, lost a three-period match to uh, Armenian on the back. Uh, so he just missed out on wrestling for a medal. It was a year that uh, Nick Simmons finished fifth at that weight class. So Nick Simmons and Chimizo in 2011 in the same weight class. Kind of wild to see his growth pattern as a wrestler. And that was, uh, of course, uh, Chimizo was back uh, wrestling for Cuba at the time. So uh, Right. Anyway, um, David, anything else you want to dive into before we take a swing at uh, looking at the top uh, returning team points? For no, we do that. I just Chimizo's growth reminds me a little of David Taylor's. I mean, I don't know when, how old Jamizo was when he did that, but if you look at David Taylor, 149 as a college freshman to, you know, 189 now, you know, like th- their faces don't even look the same. So, yeah, it, you can definitely put weight on the right way, and I'm guessing that, uh, you know, Jamizo being in different socioeconomic environments probably had a chance to eat and lift a little bit more, so that might have something to do with it as well. Yeah, he was, uh, would have been 18, 19 years old at the time. Yeah, so very similar to what Taylor would have been coming out of high school, obviously. Yeah. Yep, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. But and you always know these guys that wrestled as little guys, they have, it seems like they have better skill sets than guys that were big when they were young because that's a different style of wrestling. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, what was Hayden Zilmer, like 119 pounder as a high school senior? Or yeah. Something like that? The one that always, I always think of is uh, Tommy Rollins, right? Like, wasn't he like a 112 or 119 as a, High school freshman, I think it's something like that. You know, Willie Miklas was. Uh, I remember Willie Miklas was uh, went what nineteen to forty five, uh, I think seventy one, and then won a state title at two twenty as a senior, uh, four time state finalist, two time state champ, and uh, finished his career a hundred at a weight class one hundred and one pounds heavier than where he started. And I'm the complete opposite. I was one hundred and fifteen pounds in the seventh grade. And wrestled 134 pounds as a high, as a college senior, so I guess it works both ways, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's, David, let's take a dive into those top ten teams returning. Where do you want to start with this? This has uh, been one of your projects here. Yeah. So one of the cool things is track wrestling. You know, you have all the data from the nationals, and you can just pull up returning points. So not a shock to anyone. Penn State returns 117 points. So they essentially return Nick Lee and then 57, 65, 74, 84, 97 heavyweight. And so the only points they lose, and it's significant, obviously, is Zane Rutherford and then, you know, Corey Keener scored a point or two. So they have 117 coming back. On paper, it looks like they'll have either Teasdale or Teske at 25. RBY seems like the guy at 33, although I guess it could be Teasdale. I mean, I think they'll probably do a three-way rotation where those guys all redshirt one of the first three years. And then either Verclaren or Brady Berge look like the guys at 49. But when you think about that, they scored 117 points with the guys coming back. Heavyweight thins out a little bit, so Neville's will probably 
do as well, if not better. At 197, the two finalists are gone, so it feels like Rashid or Kassar could move up a little bit. And one of the weird things that we haven't really talked about is Penn State did not even score the most bonus points at Nationals. So, I mean, normally that's how they do it, and they just haven't in this case. So, I mean, that's I, to me, that's really interesting because I, I guess the point is they've got a lot of just staying power there. It's going to be difficult to – you're going to have to beat them. You're not going to – like they're going to have guys that are going to place very high again. So it seems like they're due do, for do those, a year of good health too, right? I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I said it, it It seems like they're due for a year of good health as well, right? I mean, with what they've been through the last couple of years with Suriano and Nolf. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary though, right? Yeah. 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 Like they, they, they yeah, their luck would probably go in their favor. So um, number two with either 84 or 85 points, depending on if you take away like the team point, you know, the, the, one of those matches they lost is Iowa. So Iowa, the big changes they're going to have is they're going to add Jacob Warner, which is going to move um, Cash Wilkie down to 84. And then 33 could potentially be Max Murin, could be Austin DeSanto if he comes. Um, 49, they lose those points, but they plug in uh, Lugo who, you know, will be ranked somewhere like around 7 through 10. Um, Jacob Warner is going to be a tough guy to initially rank because it's difficult to know if you rank him based on him beating Nicholas or him losing to uh, Jacob Woodley. But his ceiling, if he can beat Nicholas, and, you know, he beat him pretty convincingly, his ceiling is, is really high. And, you know, the number one ranked guy there will be Kyle Cannell, and, you know, he had an amazing tournament, but if he's the number one ranked guy, it feels like that weight class is pretty wide open, you know? So, you know, I think Warner's a guy that Iowa feels like could probably make the finals, you know? So they have the potential to at least get to a hundred points. Uh, you know, you're obviously close to that program. How, how do you see their lineup being this coming year? Well, I don't, I don't necessarily think uh, Max Miron at 33 is something that's, that's in the plans at this point. Uh, I think he's, probably more apt to slide into that lineup at 141. I, I think, uh, you know, all indications are that uh, Austin DeSanto uh, enjoyed his time in Iowa City and, um, you know, we'll wait word to see where he winds up. But, uh, you know, he's a difference maker at 133, and certainly you put him in an environment there where, you know, not just Spencer Lee, not just Max Mirren, not just Vince Turk, Carter Happel, Pat Lugo, Etc. But you got Corey Clark, Thomas Gilman uh, rolling around with you, the Dardanes uh, brothers as well. So uh, we'll see what uh, what that does for uh, you know if if he picks the Hawkeyes, what what something like that, a training environment like that, could do for his development. Yeah, certainly a, a team with a, a lot of upside there. I mean, you talk about uh, bonus points, and and Iowa scored what thirty and a half this year, most for the Hawkeyes since Gable's final year, 1997. Uh, so right. that's something that was sorely missing from the Iowa lineup here about three or four years ago. And then you uh, you had Spencer Lee to the mix, a guy that scored, I think, what, 27 points maybe? You know, tremendous upside 
uh, in terms of bonus points there with Spencer Lee. Alex Marinelli had a couple pins. Michael Kemmerer had a couple pins. Sam Stoll won the Guerrerian. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's not uh, like they just kind of fluked into a bunch of bonus points. They get guys that can go out and put people on their backs. And uh, that's that's a big difference from, you know, here three or four years ago. So uh, I think it's a it's a team with a lot of upside. Uh, will be interesting to see uh, what the lineup, you know, at least when they get to the starting gate in December. Uh, we're speculating about it now, but uh, when they start wrestling a lot of duels in November and December, what will that lineup look like? Who's in there at 33? Uh, is Lugo the guy at 49, or or is a guy like Jaron Glosser? Uh, you know, pushing him for that spot. He's uh, a guy that uh, has posted some uh, pretty big wins here in the last couple of years, both in folk style and freestyle. So uh, I don't think that I would necessarily write Lugo in in permanent ink, but uh, certainly the front runner for that job. Well, if, if Lugo doesn't start, that means you're still pretty good at that weight, yes, like you're absolutely. saying. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a math nerd. I think if you don't get to 100 points, you can't, you know, historically you can't win the tournament. So Iowa is a team that can get to a hundred points. The next team is Ohio state, which brings back 78 points. And they feel like another team that can get to 100. Um, you know, they lose Tomasello, they lose Bojo and they lose Snyder, which I think they pointed out in Cleveland. They're the first time ever that three guys on the same graduating class were all four time all Americans. So they lose a ton of points. They lose leadership but the cupboard's not bare there. You know, they've got Malik Heinzelman coming. They have a bunch of 25-pounders. Hopefully one of them will develop for them. They have Pletcher at 33. They have uh, Joey at 41. 49's interesting to me. Are they going to keep Keyshawn Hayes there and leave Micah at 57? Or do they move Micah down? I mean, I had heard rumblings of that, and it feels like he would be one of the favorites at that weight unless Yanni moves up. Um, you know, then if that's the case, does Keyshawn go 57 to Sammy Sasso go 57? You know, they've got, uh, they're back, they return at 65 and they need to get Ethan Smith or somebody like that in Caleb Romero at 74. They obviously bring back their two hammers at 84 and 97. And it looks like Chase Singletary will be the guy to replace at heavyweight. So they have some guys that can move up, um, you know, a couple of those guys like, you know, Miles Martin took second, really had a good tournament besides the final match and one scramble. Um, Colin Moore took fourth. I mean, I guess he'll start the year ranked second. Um, but those middleweights are so deep. A lot of those guys aren't going to be ranked a lot higher than they placed. And there's guys coming in, you know, like at 33 and 41 in there where, you know, they may not have as much upside. If you were Tom Ryan, would you, leave Micah at 57. Would you move him down? What would your thought process be there? I don't know. I, I do not know. I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, we, we've seen it in the past, right? That really good on his feet, had some problems on the bottom and those were exposed in the NCAA semis against Nolf. Uh, they were exposed at 149 against Rutherford. Uh, you're talking about two guys that are exceptional talents, uh, all around talents, especially on top on uh, those guys. But, uh, you know, 149 feels like, uh, boy, he's he's right there in the mix to win it, right? If he's if he's a 49 pounder, yeah. Uh, but but certainly he's gotta gotta iron that bottom position out and figure out uh, ways. Uh, you, you can't be getting ridden, you can't be getting turned 
because uh, it doesn't matter how good you are on your feet. If, you know, the four-point near fall now, uh, if you're getting turned, we saw it uh, with Seth Gross. I mean, how many takedowns did he give up in the semis and finals, and he still won because he was getting turns on top. They're just so hard to overcome when you're, you're getting turned for four. Uh, so that's, that's something that Micah Jordan's got to get ironed out no matter where he goes, but I think he'll be in the mix. One guy I'm really intrigued to see, we, we saw Tashan Campbell uh, early in the year post some big-time wins, and, and uh, then I, I don't know at what point uh, seemed to – uh, you know, I don't know if he's having issues with his weight or if it was, you know, we saw a knee heavily taped, uh, but uh, he was not the same guy at the end of the year that he was at the beginning. Uh, you get him an off season is, is uh, you know, is he going to be their guy at 65? Does he potentially move up? I, I, I don't know what the, what the plan is for him, but uh, will we see uh, an improve to Shan Campbell in 2018, 2019? I think, uh, that's an area where Ohio State can certainly pick up a lot of points too. Yeah, the, you know the he's really good. That weight's just really deep, right? Like, I mean, you lose Imar, but almost everybody else is back, and there were really good guys that didn't place. Like, you know, you have Vincenzo back, you have McFadden back, you have Marsteller back. I mean, Marinelli you lose Chad Walsh and Richie Lewis, but they were round of twelve guys. But Wick is back. Marinelli's back. Chandler Rogers is back. Um, John J. Chavez is back. And then, you know, the, the round of 12 guys like Isaiah White who have really high ceilings, Logan Massa. It's going to be a tough weight to – you're going to have to beat some hammers to get in the top eight. I mean, there's eight really good guys there. So, I mean, you're right. He wasn't the same guy once he got wrapped up, and they're going to need him to get on the podium. I mean, it was what we talked about at the beginning of the year um, to make it. So the fourth place team in returning points is Missouri. And they're an interesting team. You know, Nicholas got his sixth year, so that obviously helps them. Um, they graduate 25, but didn't score any points there. Dak Punky redshirted, and then they recruited like five 25-pounders. Uh, I'm a little biased, you know, because I know him. But Malik Johnson is really good. You know, forget, you know, take a mulligan from this weekend where he lost in that duel, but he's really good. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how him and Punky do right away. And then, you know, you go into the rest of the lineup, they have Ernesty back, they have Ironman back, they have Leith back. Um, they have to replace LaValle. And, you know, he was, he became a great leader, but he didn't score a lot of team points for them at nationals this year. So it's not like they lose a lot of points there. Connor Flynn's back. Daniel Lewis is back. Um, Canton Marriott's back. Nicholas is back. And then they weren't very good at heavyweight anyway. And, you know, they bring in guys like Brock Mahler, Jared Jacques. They had a really sneaky good recruiting class. And they recruited a hammer at heavyweight in Zach Elam. You know, he was in the Pittsburgh Classic. He wrestled in my meet. Um, I've known his dad forever. He's a great, great kid. Um, I don't know if they're going to start him. I think he probably could use a redshirt year. Um, I'm sure Brian will make the right decision. But they're a team that could, I feel like, could get to 70, 80 points. What do you think? Missouri was a team that felt like, to me, like, you know, they they just didn't have, like, their NCAA championship got off to a rough start, right? I mean, Ernesty gets beat out of the gate. Yeah. Lavalle gets beat out of the gate. Lavalle doesn't place. Uh, felt like a team that, uh, even though, 
They finished where they, they did, and, and right there in the mix for a trophy, felt like probably the air let out of the balloon a little bit if you're a Missouri Tiger fan, right? You know, you go in undefeated through the regular season. You post that big win over Oklahoma State on the road. Uh, lots of positives throughout, but, uh, boy, just, you know, felt like they, they may have let it get away a little bit in, at the NCAA championships of what they could have done, I think. How about you? Yeah, I agree, and you know I'm I'm fairly close to that program. And but when you looked at the end of the first round, the only two top five seeded guys that got beat were both Mizzou guys. And so, you know, a lot of Mizzou people were complaining they didn't wrestle a great schedule, but they have to wrestle their conference schedule. I think you know they didn't go to Cliff Keen and they went to South Beach Duel, so they missed the two big you know holiday tournaments. But you know, they did underperform to their seeds. I mean, that's for sure, right? When you're seeded two and you don't place, and you're seeded five and don't place, um, that kills you in projected points. But you know, so yeah. But but to that point, I mean, uh, to have all those things happen and to feel, still finish sixth, and you know, we yes. talked about how competitive like three through nine and how much parity there was three through nine throughout the year, and. Uh, you know, they, they still had uh, 13 and a half points of cushion between them and seventh place Cornell. So feels like Missouri, there's a lot of upside there, you know, that, uh, and they, they had a rough tournament. They still finished sixth. That's, that's a sign of a, a pretty strong program. And, and uh, to your point about uh, them having a sneaky, good recruiting class, doesn't that feel like, you know, you could say that every year about Missouri, like now they are to the point <laughs> now where, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, they're good at that, but they did get some, you know, bluer chip guys this year, like Malik's blue chip, um, Elam's blue chip, you know, Severato was a world runner up in Greco. Um, they got the two four timers out of Missouri. Missouri just kind of had a sneaky good, you know, senior class and they got almost all the ones they wanted, I think. Yeah. And they've, they've done such a good job in, in past years of, of really locking down their home state. You know, you, used to be and you you've talked about this before people would come in and and uh kind of get i wouldn't say all the time get who they wanted but uh sure hard to get a uh, top flight guy out of missouri if missouri wants him now a hundred percent agree and and it's the key to building any program is you know building the fence that's what all these coaches say and brian's done a great job of it and he's very you know aw shucks humble about it but he's done a great job for sure so Maybe we'll just go one more team and talk about the top five. I don't know how we are on time, but Michigan's fifth, 51 points. Joe McFarlane retires with a team trophy. Really happy for him. Um, Sean Bournemouth, you know, didn't leave the cupboard bare. So they have Drew Matten back at 25. They have Misik back at 33. They have options at 41 with Ben Freeman, Kanan Store, Joey Silva. They have options at 49 with, you know, maybe those guys, Will Luan and also Malik Amin. They're back at 57 with Pantaleo. They're back at 65 with Logan Massa. They're back at 74 with uh, Amin. And then they graduate 84. They graduate 97. But as you said, they have Jackson Strigow. Uh, Jelani Embry, I think, will be the guy at 84. And then at heavyweight, they graduate, you know, their hammer. Um but, you know, they also have Mason Paris, and I think that's a very interesting decision. You know, like, 
it's it's very similar to Missouri. I mean, Missouri doesn't lose an Adam Kuhn, but they have a young guy, a true freshman coming in. Do it seems like heavyweights the one weight class where a redshirt year to get some size on you could really make a difference. But Michigan feels like they're going to be good and they're going to be good for a while because this crew doesn't really they don't graduate. I think they'd only have one senior in the lineup this coming year, and that would be at 157 with Pantaleo, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right on that. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the crew coming in uh, next year, Silva, Luan, Paris, then uh, Kurt McHenry coming the following year. And uh, I'm sure they'll keep their foot on the gas as far as recruiting goes too. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's interesting. You you bring up Paris and the possibility of him wrestling next year. Uh, I don't know what the plans are uh, for Sean Bourmet. I asked uh, Joe McFarland about this about the uh, guys coming in next year, uh, probably about a month before, or maybe it's a couple weeks before the NCAA championships. I think actually it was a week before Big Tens. Uh, Kyle Klingman and I had Joe McFarland on for On the Mat. I asked him about that. What's the plan mm-hmm. next year? Do you, do you envision any of these guys being in your lineup? And he said no, uh, that uh, all three, uh, we've talked to all three of them about redshirting. That's the plan. Uh, but, again, plans can change. Coaching staff uh, or the head coach – changed uh sean bormet may have other plans but uh you know it, it's uh I, i'm sure he was plugged in on those conversations as an assistant and and on board with him as well so uh we'll see uh but uh you know as you mentioned though michigan's set up uh here to stay in contention for a long time yeah for sure so i feel like maybe this is a good stopping point i guess for people that will listen next week we've got nebraska Company sixth, Cornell seventh, North Carolina State, Arizona State ninth, and then in Oklahoma State they're tenth. That's going to be a five to ten minute discussion because their lineup has all sorts of interesting puzzle pieces they can play with, right? Yep, absolutely. So that. Uh... So speaking of Oklahoma State, you know th- this I, I read somewhere it's the first time they didn't have anybody in the top three ever, and their thirteenth place finish was the lowest, second lowest in the last 27 years. And it feels like, you know, like talk about a statistical anomaly, but if a team was ever loaded to come back from 13th and maybe finish second or third, it feels like this is the squad that could do it. Right. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they've got some guys that, uh, you know, I think by their own admission would say they underperformed at the NCAA championships. And then, uh, you, you start throwing in fix Joe Smith, um, depth galore especially at those lighter weights but uh man they are uh they are deep 25 on down with a lot of options through those lighter weights who's going to go where uh but certainly that's that's a team that uh you know we like i said we talked about the uh, parity from three through nine oklahoma state was in that three to nine mix i think we had them ranked third at one point and uh when you have couple guys that uh, uh, underperform and other teams have guys that overperform uh, based on where, where they're slotted to finish on paper. Uh, that's, that's the difference, right? I mean, you get, uh, you know, South Dakota State, all those bonus points that Seth Gross scored on his way to a title. They hop up there. Uh, Rutgers gets uh, uh, Scott Del Vecchio on the podium at 133. They hop up there uh, above Rutgers. At Illinois – with Imar making another run to the finals, um, 
you know, they're they're right there with Oklahoma State in a tie for 13th. Arizona State has Zahid. Uh, Valencia makes a run to a title at 174. Nebraska, tremendous tournament for the Huskers based on where they were all season long in the rankings. And they get uh, you right. know, Chad Red bounces back from a first-round loss, makes the podium. They get a couple other guys on the podium as well. And uh, they make that surge up to ninth. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot uh, – a lot still to uh, dissect here, David. It's a good stopping point to stop it at five. But uh, anything else uh, real quick this week before we sign off? No, sir. It's always fun just talking about wrestling with you. I always have fun talking about it. It's, it's a pleasure. Likewise. Likewise. So, David Mercatani, thank you very much for your time and insight. Thank you. And thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to us this week for weighing in. I'm Andy Hamilton, and David and I will be back in a week to break down the rest of the top 10 returning points for the NCAA championships, and we'll also cover anything interesting on the wrestling landscape. So thanks once again, and we'll be back in a week.